three, two, one. Welcome to the David the Dog Trainer podcast, episode eighty-eight. We're fresh off, um, fresh off our guest podcast we put out the other day. Taylor from Proper Paws did great. Put mm-hmm. up a couple clips from it that are being very uh, popularly received. Good. So that's good. <laughs> we got a new camera here, in case anybody hasn't seen on the YouTube. Um, yeah. We're working on dialing in settings and everything. We literally set it up. 30 minutes before we started the last podcast. Yeah. So it was, it was a little dark, but it yeah. was it was crisp still. Yeah, so it's crisp. Working on brightening that thing up a little bit. Yep. We got to get some lights to make it even brighter. But we're recording this motherfucker in 4K. 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 So we'll see how it looks, you know? Yes, sir. Uh, what's new? <clears throat> Not a whole lot. <laughs> I am so glad that we had her back on last oh, yeah, week. That sure. was such a good one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's fun to talk, especially with someone that doesn't train the same way. Yeah. You know, a pos- mm-hmm. like having a good rapport, which I think should be everybody, but, you know, everyone's got egos. But <laughs> I think it's so good to be able to talk with people that train differently and have a great conversation for almost two hours, you know? Yeah, 100%. And, and I think that's what I, I hope that becomes the trend for everybody mm-hmm. here in, in the coming future is that you know there's something to learn from everybody positive balanced whatever you know i think just you know and and making it not a it doesn't always have to be like a debate too you exactly. know like that's a cool thing right so first episode so obviously taylor's a a, a force free trainer kind of i mean she, she calls herself i think a choice based force free trainer right yeah. so so kind of force free you know also will incorporate some things like halties and stuff like that whatever trains very different than us you mm-hmm. know uh and even in the first episode we did we were just kind of breaking down her style of training and discussing it and stuff like that there's no there's no debate of like oh like well that's wrong and yeah. you should do it this way or you should do it that way coming yeah. from either ends because <clears throat> the reason why I wanted to have her on in the first place is because I respect what she does right when I found her and watched her videos you could tell she's very knowledgeable mm-hmm. you can tell she's very successful with her clients yeah. she has a great rapport with them I mean she posts her testimonial she gets I mean she's mm-hmm. cru- she's crushing it you know yeah, what I mean exactly um, and I think people need to start realizing it's okay for people to train in different ways. Yes. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and there's no like this way is right and this way is wrong or anything. It's are your are your clients happy? Yeah. Right? Like are you getting the success that you're looking for? Yeah. Right? Are they pleased with the outcome and <clears throat> do do you care about the work you're doing? That's really the key with this, yeah. you know, especially in this, you know, I mean, she's got 103,000 followers or whatever at this point. Like she's exploded. That's a lot of what we talked about on the last episode and you could tell she's not doing this for Instagram, though. You know what yeah. I mean? She's doing this because she cares about the work that she does, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that's sweet. Yeah. Do you think it's just, um, <clears throat> I don't know. Do you think the stigma of, you know, oh, my way is better than anyone else's way, and I don't want to hear it. Like, is that like an old head kind of thing? Like like the those... DVD trainers sure. and, and stuff like that back in the past. Like, I feel like some of those guys just had that stigma of like, you know, it's my way. Yeah, and I think I think when you get into marketing, right? Mm-hmm. To piggyback off that video we were watching, obviously, uh, when you get into marketing and dog trainers that are marketing themselves, you. I, I guess you you people think that you have to. I don't think you necessarily have to, but um, a lot of people think they have to present themselves as the end all be all of these things yeah. in order to sell stuff. Because if you're marketing yourself as like 
top trainer in the country, right? Or like yeah. most proven method of success or, or whatever. Any number, yeah. forget dog training. Mm-hmm. Like if you're trying to learn how to make your golf swing better, right? Yeah. Or you're trying to learn, like I've seen, a, you know, as I've gotten into golf, I've seen a number of videos pop up on my Instagram of guys like the number one PGA um, <laughs> tour coach, yeah. you know, teaches you how to fix your slice. And yeah. like, well, you know what I mean? Like you have to market yourself as the authority figure because mm-hmm. I, heard, I read this the other day, maybe a week ago, or, or I can't remember where I heard this from. Whatever. But, but basically, the person was implying that, you know, you could put information out there that's accurate, but if people don't have a some sort of understanding of the credentials you have to deliver mm-hmm. that information, mm-hmm. it's only going to be received by yeah. so many people. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So, so... For example, right? I think the per- I think it might have been Alex Hormozzi, right? But um, for example, like using say Jocko Willink as an example, right? Jocko Willink, let's say he had no freaking name for himself, mm. and he was just out there saying, "You need to wake up at four thirty, and you need to work yeah. out every day." And nobody had any fucking clue who he was. They'd be like, "Okay, Joe, like you know, like <laughs> yeah. who the fuck are you, right, yeah. telling me to do this?" But because you understand the credentials of he's this, you know, Navy SEAL commander, right? And he's been through, you know, this battle, this battle, this battle, and done. 17 tours and you know what I mean? Like, and he's this like proven successful individual. Yeah. Then he's telling you, these are the things that I do that Mm. I've attributed all of this success that I've gotten from. Yeah. You're going to receive that information much, much better. Yeah. Right. That's true. Why do you think so many people in their bio, right? Like on Instagram, for example, right? Let's say somebody makes a, a, an Instagram page, right? They've never had an Instagram page before and they've got, 7 million followers on TikTok. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The first thing you see in their bio on Instagram is 7 million followers on TikTok. Yeah, it's true. Right? Like, yeah. I see that all the time. And the mm-hmm. reason for that is because you have to provide some sort of credentials to why should you take my information seriously? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> and That's this gets true. back to the marketing side of things, right? Is like, we've even talked about this at, um, we had a, a, a a marketing meeting, whatever the fuck you want to call it, a media meeting. Yeah. Uh, just yesterday, we were kind of talking about that. Like, we're putting a lot of information out there, like talking points and this and that. And I was like, don't lose sight of, you know, posting the actual training stuff still, because mm-hmm. that's what gives us the credentials. It doesn't perform the best necessarily, right? In this case, like the talking bits and this and that are more shared, obviously. Mm-hmm. People receive them a little bit better because it's kind of directly related to their issues. Yeah. But having a random clip of like, hey, I posted one the other day, like this dog, we just finished, like it's full off-leash training and look at it doing its off-leash training. Like mm-hmm. it's impre- it's not going to get shared as much, but people are going to look at it and be like, oh, mm-hmm. you know what you're doing, Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so, not all fluff. Yeah. So getting back to your original question, I think that's kind of the mentality behind it. I mm-hmm. think there's ways to do it, though, other than just being like, I'm the authority figure. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm the one that knows everything. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and that's what I, I feel like <laughs> the dog. It, I mean, it's everywhere, like you were saying. But I think, especially in the dog training right now, I think there needs to be a lot more, uh, I don't know, inclusivity of everybody. Sure. You know, talking with each other, amongst yeah. each other, instead of... It's it's just so one way or the highway kind of thing, mm-hmm. and I think I think especially with you guys being on TikTok now, like you've seen a lot of it. It's just yeah. like so hard headed in one direction, you know. Yeah, and I I think people need to get away from that. Yeah, I I think it's it's 
it's interesting because like we all go through it, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've always gone through my phases of like, no, everybody should train the way that I'm training, right? Like it works so well, this, that, you know what I yeah. mean? But then you start realizing, and again, I've, I've equated it to this a lot. I've talked about this a lot as I've gotten trainers, right? That work for me that have had their own relationships with their dogs and have done different types of training and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff who train in different ways that I do. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like it's similar enough, yeah. right? Where we could all be under the same umbrella and yeah. like preach the same good word and stuff, yeah, for sure. but they do things much different than I do, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, and they live very different lives with their, with their dogs. And as I started realizing that more through my trainers, I started realizing and becoming more accepting of if you know, Sally with her fucking, you know, burn a doodle puppy who doesn't have any issues and just wants to compete in rally obedience and just do fun things with her dog, wants to go to Cleveland all breed, uh, you know, or a force free trainer or something like that for training. And they're going to be happy with that. And it's going to provide what they want. Merry Christmas. I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like that's cool. Right. Like, and I think it's important for us to start start understanding that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now, that kind of segues into some of what I want to talk about today, right? So mm-hmm. uh, we posted a clip the other day from the podcast, right, talking about, or I should say Taylor talking about, right, fear periods in puppies, mm-hmm. right? And particularly, she was talking about the fear period that you'll experience from like six months to 14 months, yeah. right, in dogs, right? I refer to that always as the dog maturing, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Whatever. We, we talk about, you know, we'll see behavioral issues 10x amplified from like eight months to a year and a half, yeah. right? You can call it a fear period. You can call it maturing, you call it whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. The premise is the same of like the dog is going through these crazy hormonal changes and you have to be on top of making sure you're managing that effectively to ensure it doesn't create a big problem, right? Yeah. We see it, German Shepherds is one of the, like the, the biggest breeds that I see go through super intense ones yeah. um, where they just like, you will see them go from like, I'm just a scaredy cat dog to I am a scaredy cat monster aggressive dog. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, crazy reactivity can kind of start popping out of these dogs, this, that, right? Um, And I kind of want to talk about them a little bit because though I think those things are extremely important to understand, right? Mm -hmm. They're so important to understand, right? Because if you're before that stage, if you get a new puppy, you could avoid a lot of problems by proactively starting your training before you get into that period, right? Mm. And making sure that you understand staying on top of them and making sure these problems don't become worse. You can't let it define your dog, right? So we made mm. this post and it, it kind of blew up, right? Okay. Like it's got like whatever, a thousand <laughs> likes at this point. I think mm-hmm. it had something like 500 shares and like yeah. all these people commenting on it, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm reading the comments, right? And I was just kind of getting like discouraged reading them a little bit. You know what I mean? Because like mm-hmm. every single one of them was like, people like hopping on like oh my god i didn't know about this fear period my dog had an incident with another dog at seven months old at the dog park or um at 10 months old got charged by an off-leash dog or this or that and that's why they're like a monster at this point right that's why they're so reactive and and i just wish i knew this sooner so i could make sure it didn't happen and and Mm -hmm. and Again, hindsight is twenty twenty. always, right? Like, I wish you knew about this stuff sooner as well so you yeah. could have avoided some of these problems. But don't use it as an excuse for your dog's behavior now. True. Yeah. That is such an important part, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a difference between people being like, oh, I get this. That's why their behavior was like this, but I suck out training and we weren't mm-hmm. past it and this and that versus there were some people that were just making just 
flat out excuses, right? Yeah. Is the one lady commented on it. She's like, yeah, this happened to my dog. I wish people knew this because then it takes years to repair it and stuff. Like it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't take years yeah. to repair it. Yeah. Right. Like anything that happens, right. Your dog gets charged by an off leash dog and gets a little scared for a week. If you have proper training established, if you have proper communication established, you could easily work the dog through that point. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yep. So, so I kind of want to, I want to, I want to build on this topic a little bit today. I got a video pulled up here that we're going to watch just talking about fear periods and puppies. It's Michael Ellis video. Uh, I may or may not have seen this video before. I don't know. So we're going to watch it, see what he has to say about them, obviously, and just kind of start breaking some of this stuff down a little bit. Cool. So. <clears throat> Lots of little puppies show their insecurity differently. And as they get a little bit older, uh, their kind of hormones and maturity and things that, so if I show a a puppy little might be just be kind of reserved or even a little bit avoidant, but not bark. And as they get older, they get a little more like, hey, assertive and so aggression, or somebody does things like that that taps that side of them. The other thing is dogs go through little different developmental periods, and it's different for every dog, it's different for every breed, They're like we, these are really hard to define, but there are dogs that are going along perfectly, everything looks great, they look super happy outgoing, and then they go through this period where they're scared of everything. And then if we go along and we just kind of stay, stay the course and do our training stuff the way we should, they come out on the other side and they're all better again and it goes away completely and you're com- totally fine. And they call these fear periods, and some dogs experience them and others don't. They use the, a lot of the behaviors, the Scott and Fuller studies, they tried to define those fear periods. So they say there's one at eight weeks, there's one at six months, there's like these things. But I find that not necessarily to be the case, right? So some dog may be super fearful at nine or ten weeks, and then again at six or seven months, and some other dog may not ever go through those. Some dogs seem super fearful when they're little, little, and then it just goes away forever. Other dogs are, look perfect until they're a year old, and all of a sudden they have this, this weird thing. And part, part of it has to be the environment. There are experiences that the dogs are having that we're not aware of all the time. Again, remember, be, uh, behavior and, and personality is always an interplay of genetics and environment. And those things are always going on. Every moment of every day, your dog is learning things about its environment. And so there's going to be a whole host of um, experiences that we're not aware of the dog having. Um, and so that makes it saying like, hey, is this a fear period just for the dog? Is the dog just getting a little weird here and are they gonna grow out of it? Or was it this experience strictly that triggered it? Um, some, you leave- That's such an important part is that you can, this is the other dangerous part about getting too deep into this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? Is like, is it truly this just like the dog is going through a fear period and like, there's nothing you can do about it, right? And mm-hmm. it's just the dog's genetics at play, and you have to figure out a way to work with those genetics at play. Or is it actually an issue where it's like that thing happened, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the trap people can fall into is they can go too far and that something happened, mm-hmm. right? And, oh, well, he was in a fear period, and somebody was outside playing wiffle ball <laughs> and swung the wiffle bat mm-hmm. too close to the puppy and that's why they're scared of men, right? Or you know what I mean? Like yeah. like you could get way too far down that rabbit hole with things as opposed to understanding these stages the dog's going through 
are natural and these things could be contributed to nothing or something just the dog is perceiving that you're not even aware of, like you just said, Mm -hmm. right? Obviously, environmental, the dog is learning so much about their environment on a day-to-day basis where you're not even aware of those little things. And again, you have to just figure out how to work through that. So instead of creating this, it gets back to the excuse of it was this thing that happened that ruined my dog and made my dog worse, right? This is a natural progression of the where my dog's going to go through and we just have to train the dog that's in front of us, right? Yeah. If our dog is now 15 months old, right? A year and a half old, whatever mm-hmm. it may be, and is terrified of men and gets reactive to men, we just have to solve that problem right now, right? Mm-hmm. We have to train past that problem, right? Yep. And we can't hold them back by saying this thing caused it, so now we can't train through it because it's yeah. it's hardwired into them. It happened in the fear period. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> dog at home when you go to work, things like that, stuff happens, you know, if your dog's in the yard or your dog's somewhere like that, you know, God knows your neighbor walks, kid walks down the fence, dragging a stick along the fence, <laughs> bang it, <laughs> you don't know that happened, who knows, right? Those kinds of things happen all the time. So um, that's not an exact science. What I would say is like having that stuff happen sucks, it, it happens, um, but our prescription for, is gonna be the same. Our prescription is gonna be to get the dog out around as many people that aren't going to do that to them as possible and kind of rearrange their brain about new experiences, dogs, people, whatever. And we want them to think that um, uh, uh, being around those things is good. Lots of good stuff happens. Counterconditioning, our classic counterconditioning stuff. And the more you do that, the better off you're going to be. Now, if they have bad experiences in those places, they're a setback. That's why we want to kind of avoid the bad experiences, letting the dog explode and having somebody else yank their dog away and drag it off, uh, somebody else going like coming at your dog or barking at your dog. Stomp, people, like love, people love to kind of go stomp their feet at dogs and stuff like that, <laughs> like they think they're playing. People do that. I've had that happen enough yeah. times. Or people walk by, right, and they'll look at the dog and they'll go, woof. <laughs> I know. I hate that shit. So dumb. What the fuck are you doing? Right? I've had that happen so many times. Right? A car drives by real fast, and I'll I'll literally see somebody hanging out the window, going woof 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 woof. <laughs> and it's like, bro, yes. what is going through your brain when you're doing that? Like, what is like? Actually, I want to know what is the thought happening in your head when you decide to hang out of a car yeah. window and bark at a dog on the street? I don't know. Man. It just bought, it baffles me. Yeah. Right? So, okay, so he's getting to, we have to kind of rearrange their brain a little bit, right? And we need to get them to a place where they start seeing these things as not scary. Yeah. Now, in some cases, when you have dogs that have developed really intense fear-based responses, right? This is where we get to the balanced training approach of how I like to work through these things. <clears throat> sometimes if you're following a solely force-free approach of counter-conditioning things, right? Mm-hmm. Again, you're going into things with the expectation that we're going to make the dog love everything, right? Mm-hmm. And you could fall into this dangerous trap of if you run into another scenario that the dog perceives as scary, that it's another setback that you have, right? Where I choose to, again, stop some of those problematic behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. And make sure we're creating some inhibitions for those responses that the dog is having in addition to creating more positive association Mm -hmm. so they could start to see these things as a positive without the fallback of if the dog then cycles back and starts reacting and rehearsing that self-reinforcing behavior that it's going to make everything bad again. Yeah. Right? So... And they freak the dog out completely, right? Those are all bad things with dogs that are edgy. Uh, and you can't rely on the general public to read signs well. So that means you've got to be kind of a step ahead of that stuff, right? But I would say for 
Um, any puppy that's exhibiting uh, uh, like territorial barking, barking at strangers, barking at other dogs, barking at noises in the night, uh, it's not that the barking is bad. It's that it's a symptom of them being unsure and nervous about these things. And so that's telling me that this dog's natural uh, response to something that makes it nervous is partially aggressive. So instead of running and hiding under the bed, they're barking. Same impulse, same underlying cause. Response is different. The fight or flight response, right? Some dogs are, they, they talk about with people sometimes, right? That you have three different responses to things, right? So you have fight, flight, or freeze, right? Mm -hmm. And they talk about how those are kind of genetically wired into you at birth mm -hmm. on what your response is going to be to those things. Yeah. And what he's implying here is that it's the same with puppies, right? Every puppy genetically is hardwired to respond a different way when they're being fearful of stuff, mm -hmm. right? Or they're scared of things. And you're just going to start to see it become more predominant, right? Or more exposed as the dog goes through these fear periods or this maturity cycle where you're going to become more aware of that response then at that point. Mm -hmm. Right? So my golden retriever very rarely does that as a response to those things. It doesn't usually get out at the end of the leash, hackle up, and start barking at something. It's just not their thing. Not that there aren't goldens out there that do, but that's not a common response for them. They would more likely avoid. They would act submissive. They would try to get, go, run the other way. They would say, oh, God, scary dog, and they'd go the other direction instead. Right? But it's all coming from the same place. And so that's something you file for yourself. You say, my dog's response to stress is a slightly aggressive response. So that means that down the road, if I'm not careful, that that dog's response to being stressed in some way could be biting somebody or another dog, right? And so now my job is to try to address the underlying causes of that and make the dog more confident so they don't feel they have to go there. It still doesn't mean that they're not gonna bite when they feel stressed. It just means it's gonna be harder if we do our jobs right, it's going to be much harder to make them feel stressed in normal, everyday circumstances. And that's what we want to avoid. Normal, everyday things should not make you feel stressed. Somebody walking by you on the sidewalk, another dog walking past in the parking lot, those things are not things that you should be worried about. And generally, if your dog isn't crazy fearful, then uh, we can, in, in your puppies, like all of these dogs are, then you can make huge strides on that just by good, proper socialization uh, and making sure that you're doing your counter-conditioning work correctly in general. Like a lot of those initial behaviors are always going to be when it first approaches too. So one of the best things you can do is when somebody comes into your house or when you go someplace with a dog is like if you and I were to meet on the street and we were doing it as a training op for your dog, I would come up and I would talk to you and I would completely ignore your dog. Right? I would walk straight up and I'd say, hey man, how's it going? And I would have a chat with you and I would not look at the dog, I wouldn't touch the dog, I wouldn't do anything. And that means the dog can be there like, who's this guy? I don't respond, nothing happens, I don't go away. You know, so I told you today, so mm -hmm. Kate and I have been watching a lot of Caesar, right? We've been <laughs> watching a lot of the Dog Whisperer. It's on, by the way, guys, it's on Disney Plus <laughs> on the Nat Geo section. Seasons four through nine are on there. Wild show, man. <laughs> those are those early 2000s. Yeah. They didn't hold back. It was no. raw, right? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and uh, we're talking about it, and I still say to this day, right, I think some of the biggest things that Caesar has done for the dog world as a whole, right? One of the biggest ones, right, is this philosophy of no touch, no talk, no eye contact, right? He says it all the time, 
right? Mm-hmm. He says, everybody's go-to when they go and meet a freaking dog is to just smother it with attention and just mm-hmm. invade their space and just do all of these, like, he calls them dominant things mm-hmm. to the dog, right? Yep. He said, the most calm, assertive thing you could do to a dog and the best way you could get them to see you as a authority figure is to enforce no touch, no talk, no eye contact with yep. them, right? And... You know, as we've been watching this show and I've been seeing him talk about it more and more and more, it's like it just like ignites things that you already know in your in you know in your day to day, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, we talk about like when we introduce our dog to strangers in the house, right? We talk about always having a routine of having the dog hold a bed stay for ten minutes before you let them interact with people. Mm-hmm. Now, why do we do that? It's for the same reason. It's to create our own version of no touch, no talk, no eye contact. Because I think it's unrealistic sometimes to just, before any guest comes over your house, teach them these ground rules with your dog and make sure they're going to enforce them. It's a lot harder for me to control my guests and the people that are coming into my home than it is for me to control my dog. Mm. right yep. so no matter what if i have my dog free and i'm trying to get everybody to just no touch no talk no eye contact no touch no talk no eye contact with them and the dog is like all in their space and stuff like that inevitably somebody's going to try to interact with them and pet them and it's going to mm. ruin the cycle but if yes. i create that and i create that you hold the bed over there the guest comes in because the dog's not even in proximity at this point mm-hmm. there is an immediate sense of no touch no talk no eye contact and there's this controlled socialization from afar this is the biggest point something taylor said in the comments to somebody was interaction is such a small part of socialization when it comes to puppies yeah. right environmental socialization is everything what is environmental socialization environmental socialization is your dog getting used to things in the environment not directly impacting them so much yeah. right? Right? And if we could start with that, with any of these things we want to socialize our dog with and create some degree of control of the dog not feeling the social pressure that people are putting on them constantly, mm-hmm. literally so many problems would go away. Oh, yeah. Right? Every single aggressive dog that I meet that comes in for classes and stuff, mm-hmm. if I just enforce five to ten minutes of just ignoring the dog and talking to the owner, by the time I go to actually interact with the dog, the dog is cool. They're, yeah. they're literally fine. Mm-hmm. Right? And we need to start just accepting that some dogs just need just a couple freaking minutes longer. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. He doesn't, he, the dog just says, oh, well, it's not for me. But if I come up and I go, hey, nice dog, and I look at your dog and walk towards you, now all my energy is going directly at your dog. Yep. And your dog, the dog that's uncomfortable is not going to like that. Nope. At all. The man. So that's, so that's generally what he's talking about, obviously. It's just getting these puppies used to socializing and not seeing. So so it's our job to obviously hold our dog to a little bit higher of a standard with things, right? By having training established, we could help mitigate some of those kind of close contacts. Somebody accidentally does something stupid, right? Mm-hmm. And we could still work our dog through that situation. But in addition to that, we want to be proactively making sure we're setting up scenarios like that to create more positive experiences. Yeah. Right? I like that. We need to talk to him. Yeah, right. <laughs> I should try to reach out to him. He's been on a couple of podcasts before. Michael Ellis, I'll pay you however much money you want. <clears throat> um, okay, so 
yeah, so like I said, just wanted to kind of break down a quick video of that. So, so here's the thing. So I want people to be significantly more aware of this stuff, though, right? And I want people to be more proactive about not putting their dog in dicey situations, like Taylor talked about. Mm-hmm. Avoid the dog parks. The only... The only way you're going to run into really serious problematic behaviors through these fear periods is if the socialization you're doing with them already is improper, right? Mm -hmm. If we're always doing proper socialization, as we're seeing these fear periods, we're going to notice the subtle changes, but it's not going to put too much pressure on the dog where it's going to start to create these traumatic experiences, where if from the get-go all of our socialization is done at the dog park on the leash, meeting other dogs and people, taking our dog, what's the age old thing that everybody says about when you get a new puppy, take it to the pet store and let everybody come and pet them and Mm -hmm. do all these things. If we're not doing all of that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and 75% of our socialization is done environmentally, meaning getting the dog out and about into a new environment and making sure that they're getting used to being around this stuff, but those things aren't directly interacting with the dog. Mm Mm-hmm. As they start getting scared of things, they might be a little spooked by this person walking by, but if that person isn't actively engaging in them, they're just going to create a little distance, and they're going to start learning a more natural flight response to those types of things Mm -hmm. and creating space than actively engaging and aggressing in those situations, right? And again, I just can't express enough how we need to start to ditch some of these excuses for the for the behavior. It, that really was crazy. I mean, like, there were so many comments on that post of people just like, let me, ju- let me just... Let's pull them up. Let's just pull some of them <laughs> up. Here, right? Let's see what we got. It doesn't surprise me, though, unfortunately. This is so important. It's because... All right. Here we go. And then the other thing, too, is, like, (laughs) like, there's a difference between, like, truly, like, traumatic things happening to your dog. Like, your dog actually getting attacked and, like, injured by an off-leash dog versus a dog just pulling really quickly up to your dog and your dog getting a little spooked from it, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so... Yeah, I mean, there's just, like, long ones, right? So, like, wow, this happened to my poor Air Max. He was a great dog, still is, but very anxious now. Everyone who meets him loves him and talks about how sweet he is, and he really is. My neighbors will still come and take him on walks even. Anyways, one time our neighbor's children freaked out one day when they saw him in our front yard. He was only four to six months old. They all, including the parents, started running and screaming at the top of their lungs. He was in our yard with a tennis ball in his mouth and probably weighed 25 pounds, but they have a fear of all animals. (laughs) His hair immediately stood up on his back, and he was terrified. Since then, the dog used to play with. Uh, He no longer wanted any part with and even nipped at her to stay away. Hates all other dogs, and I have to watch him with kids. Though he's four and there has never been an incident, I could tell he gets really nervous around them. Now he is just a nervous dog in general. He was not like that before the incident, which was also terrifying to me because when they all started running, he went running after them. He's Lab Shepherd Mix, not aggressive. I don't think he would have done anything, but at the same time, they were creating this big chase and fearful atmosphere, so I was scared too. I kept calling out for him, but he couldn't hear my voice with all the screaming and panicking that the whole family was doing. Right? So, like, Jesus. 
first off, listen, if you're a family and you're running and screaming at puppies and like making a big deal, just stop doing that. Right? Yeah, please. <laughs> but, Jesus. but this is the thing, right? So that incident did not create your dog to be a fearful monster, mm. right? That incident alone did not do that. Yeah. That incident may have taught him a response, which is if I'm scared of something because my dad isn't advocating for me in this situation, mm. if I start barking at somebody that they'll go away. But the problem is he let that incident define his dog. You know mm. what I mean? He said, this incident, you're, you're an anxious yeah. dog now. Yeah. Right. You're an anxious dog now. There's nothing we could do about it. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, right, if you run into a traumatic experience, right? I talk about this with people who have dogs that have been attacked by off-leash dogs, right? I always say the next day, assuming your dog is not like horrendously injured, obviously, <laughs> the next day, you have to get your dog out, you need to walk them, and you need to pretend like nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Right? Because what happens is from the human side of things, we get all these emotions, yep. right? Something like that happens and we're like, oh my God. My dog is so scared. I need to make sure that he's never scared again. And every time they encounter that situation, they're doing everything wrong, coddling them, cuddling them. But it's, yeah. it's okay. It's okay. You know what I mean? And and we're immediately doing so much different than we used to do. And all those things we used to do that used to make the dog confident and used to make the dog be okay in those situations, which mm. was, hey, the neighbor's dog he likes to play with, we're just going to put him in that situation. We're just going to let him kind of do their thing, right? And let mm-hmm. him have a good time and work out their problems. Now... Because we have this picture in our head that our dog is an anxious mess now. The second we start noticing, maybe he said that he snapped at the neighbor dog, right? He nipped at him, right? He said no blood drawn, but he nipped at him, right? Now, the second you see that, you're going to be like, oh my God, it's because he was traumatized by that incident. I need to go in and step in and stop it. Mm. Where before that happened, we're like, he's a little rock. You're fine, dude, right? And we leave him be. And then in two seconds... He's fine again, right? Mm-hmm. He gets past that incident. Maybe the other dog was just a little too pushy towards him. Kind of jumped on him wrong or something like that. He said, hey, fuck you. Get off me. Yeah. Right? But we, we allow them to just work through that kind of stuff and understand nothing bad happens. Where once we have an incident or if our dog was attacked by an off-leash dog and then we see something like that, we're like, oh, my God, he thinks that dog's going to attack him too. I need to step in and I need to remove him from the situation because he's so scared now. Right? We make everything 10 times worse. Yeah. Right, because we stop treating them like a more durable animal that can handle these things and needs to learn and work through these types of things, and we start treating them like they're fragile and they're made of glass. Mm-hmm. Right, <clears throat> so we see that stuff all the time. Right, yeah. and this is why I say when you have proper training established, right, any big traumatic experience that could happen to your dog, as long as you move past it, like, hey, that happened, that sucked but we're not going to let it define us. Yep. And whatever it may be, if it's, again, you got attacked while you're out on a walk, you go out on a walk and you immediately make sure the dog realizes that nothing is different. We're going for mm-hmm. our walks like normal. Hey, that thing sucked, that happened, but we're just going to make sure it doesn't happen again and you're going to be fine, right? Yeah. As opposed to try to overdo it. Then some people will overdo it, right? So so their dog will get attacked by an off-leash dog and then they're like, oh my God, he's scared of dogs. I need to re-socialize him again, mm-hmm. right? So then, again, they change what they were doing before, which was making the dog fine, yeah. right? And they change it to now we're going to go out on our walk and we're going to try to get our dog to meet all of these dogs <laughs> again so he realizes that they're not bad yeah. as opposed to... Just treat it like it always was, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, like, again, the fear periods, you can see issues come out of your dog for sure, right? And you have to be aware of them. But the human really dictates so much of this kind of stuff, right? When we change our behavior dramatically because of an incident happening with our dogs, and then we can mess everything up along the way. Yeah, that's true. I remember what uh, you used to say all the time, like, 
they can they can feel the difference in youth even just through the leash. It's just that little bit. Yeah. So they're already feeling that you're like a little tense up in these situations. Mm-hmm. But then, like you said, you're you have just redone your whole like routine. You, you redo it all. You yeah. change everything you're doing at that point, right? And again, getting back to, if you're not doing improper socialization in the first place, it's really not going to be a big deal because most of the things people will do to try to fix traumatic experiences mm-hmm. is they, again, overdo interaction socialization. They're yeah. having more people invade the dog's space. They're having more dogs invade the dog's space. They're putting the dog in more risky situations like dog parks or unstructured daycares or playdates with dogs that are not very good dogs and all these types of things that are going to increase the chances of something bad happening and put even more social pressure on the dog Mm -hmm. and it could just become a freaking mess yeah you know so you got to be you got to be aware of that kind of stuff for sure all right let's see what we got here let's see if we can pull up one more video on this What do you think, Josh? <laughs> I don't know. I kind of already said my piece, but uh, I'm trying to think. I don't know. It's uh. Did you find some? Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, another Learbird. All right, so we got another Learbird one here, Fear Periods and Young Dogs Part 2. This is the second in a short series of lectures with Michael Ellis talking about fear periods in dogs and how to deal with fearful dogs. If you missed the first part of this lecture, you can go to my website and watch it on our streaming videos. Now, as this clip opens... Michael is explaining why he doesn't go up to strangers and ask strangers to give his nervous dog a treat. Mm. Then my dog said, don't even get me started on that one. <laughs> let's, see what my, let's see if Michael's saying is the same as mine or not. Hey, approaching strangers is good because they all have food. Then you're out on the street and your dog goes up to somebody seeing if they have a piece of food and they don't have a piece of food and they go, oh, puppy! And they grab your dog by the head. Tricks dog loses them. It. Tricks them into uncomfortable, vulnerable positions. Mm. Bites them, right? Because the dog, because they, you can't control how they're going to react. So I tend not to encourage my dog to go up to strangers to get fed, because it's going to get them in trouble. Because you can't control how the strangers are going to react. So instead, I would go work around a stranger, and I would do all the feeding. So that way, I can go around you in circles. I can have my dog bump in. So environmental socialization, we're neutralizing the potential trigger as opposed to having that trigger be the source of the good, right? Mm-hmm. If the trigger is the source of the good, the puppy is going to start not paying attention to us and paying attention to everything else going on around them and put themselves into potentially vulnerable positions. Yeah. Where I want my dog to treat that stuff like it's furniture. Literally don't even worry about it, right? Yeah. It ain't no thing. <laughs> you no thing. walk past you, you're a non, and off we go, right? And so the dog says, oh, that's fine. Like nothing, nothing bad happened there. Being around that person was no big deal. But that, because I just because I can't control, we had a, we, we we had a series of uh, fearful dogs at one point that we were trying uh, different techniques to to socialize and counter condition them. And one of them we we were we were experimenting with clickers at the time, and we were which is basically the, what we're doing with our yes marker. But um, we were clicking the dog for uh, approaching strangers uh, in 
progressions. Till the f she, we taught her actually to come up and nose touch somebody to get food, somebody that she was make, that was making her nervous. So I could at that point I could she would approach anybody at any time and nose touch them. She would just touch them lightly with her nose and sit there like give me a piece of food, which was awesome, until somebody there didn't give her a piece of food and stared at her, and then she just nailed them bite them boom right <laughs> like i got to that there was a i think i talked about it before on the podcast there was like a popular thing going around for like a year not even a year right where people were teaching the go say hi command oh, every yeah. now and then i still have people ask me about it every now and then right there were a couple trainers that kind of popularized that which was the same concept as what he talked about but instead of going up and nose bumping them they would go up and nose bump their hand right so they'd go mm -hmm. up nose bump the hand then come back to the handler for a treat yeah right it's just it's just fake socialization. The dog mm -hmm. doesn't actually want to go up to that person. They yeah. just want to get food, and you're teaching them going up to that person is the thing you want yeah. to get that food, <laughs> right? Yeah. Then again, vulnerable position. Then that Very. person's staring a little too hard, yeah. and the dog is now in this vulnerable position where they put themselves so close to this person, and then they start freaking out. Yeah. She got there and realized, like, you don't have any food. You're staring at me. Holy crap. Wham. <laughs> Oops. Now I taught her to go up to strangers. And then now the stranger sees this dog coming to you. It's, it's so funny on nonchalant. It's like, well, that backfired. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> that is, that's not how I intended that to go. No. The dog's friendly. Like, coming right up to me. It wanted to be pet, right? Wrong. <laughs> that was the worst thing we ever did. It was bad news, right? So now what we do is just like, no, 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 don't go up to greet them. Just get around them, get comfortable, and go, and hopefully you change that. And then the other thing that we do with puppies is um, we get with other dog trainers, and we hand them off and have them do the same food stuff we're doing here, right? So what we're doing in the class, where we're doing all the luring and moving the dog around and doing all that engagement work, what you do is you could bring a dog out, do a little bit of that, then hand a fistful of food to, your, to your, another trainer or your friend or somebody that can behave the same way and have them do the same exact thing with your dog. Now your dog's learning something about interactions with new people, but all the signals are the same, the experiences are all good, nobody's trying to grab the dog or hold them or pet them or force themselves into their space. Right, so the dog's all primed to have these sets of signals mean something, and now they're getting consistency of signals from a new person, and the dog goes, oh, that wasn't so bad, and then somebody else does it, oh, that wasn't so bad. And, and that work, works really well for, for that kind of thing, instead of trying to force the dog to get petted or fed or something by strangers. Um, yeah, so the people that ask generally when I'm dealing with puppies is, um, uh, if I have a puppy that's really friendly, then sure, you can pet my puppy, right? If I have a puppy that I have any issues with that kind of stuff with, then I just say, um, I appreciate it if you don't right now, I'm training the puppy and I'm trying to make the puppy uh, uh, pay attention to me, so if you could just ignore the puppy, you'd be a huge help to me, is what I always say. So I just go, like, you'd be helping me a lot if you could just ignore the puppy while I do something and go past you, because I'm working on certain things in my training. And then people are usually, you're going to get some people that are like, Nazi, <laughs> right? But, uh, but most people are going to be like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's fine, you know, and they're all right um, with it. The dogs don't get a lot of socialization with other people um, if I'm having problems with them paying attention to me. That would be the only part of it. But in terms of, like, if you want your dog to be mean when he grows up or, like, so the only, the only thing lack of contact with strangers is likely to increase. It's going to make your dog more likely to bite. So if I'm doing, so if I were raising a dog and I really wanted to make a dog that I was sure would bite people. <laughs> then that would be the only place that 
social isolation like that would be potentially beneficial, right? The more times your dog meets new people and has good experiences, the less likely your dog is to want to bite new people. We talk a lot about, you know, our number one job with any dog is to reduce the amount of times that we're socializing them to a reasonable amount of time that we could make sure they go 100% successfully. Yeah. Right. The more socializ more socialization doesn't always mean good. Doesn't always mean better. More mm-hmm. socialization just means more opportunity for something bad to happen. True. Right. So I tell people, your dog doesn't need as much socialization as you think that they do. Right. They mm-hmm. don't need to interact with a new person every single day. Right. Yeah. What they need is for every social experience that they have to be positive. Right. Yeah. It, they do need to meet, you know, we do need to make sure we're checking the box that they're comfortable with dogs, that they're comfortable with people, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. We do need to check those boxes. But once we've checked those boxes, you're kind of just maintaining your socialization, right? Yeah. Meaning if you do it once a month, right? Your dog meets a new person once a month or a new dog once a month. And every single time you do it, it's done properly. We allow them to acclimate to the person. They have a good experience. You know what I mean? Like nothing mm-hmm. bad happens. We keep it short and sweet, stuff like that. You're going to move yourself so much further along than if you're doing socialization with a new person every single day. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you have a bad experience. True. Right. So if that was a goal of yours to have a dog that would bite a lot of people, then no, then you having lots of socialization and contact probably isn't going to be good for, for that dog. Right. So for me, most of the, th- the reason that I wouldn't allow my dog to go say to hide everybody would be either one, because the dog's fearful and I can't control what those people are going to do and they can make my fearful problem worse. Or two, because my dog won't pay any attention to me and wants to say hi to everybody else. And at that case, then I don't want to do, I'm not going to let you go say hi to everybody until you start working with me in a meaningful way. And then if you're working with me well, then sure, you can say hi to people. Like, so if, I, if I'm raising a lab puppy, right, the, the social fear thing is not a com, as common a thing, right? So I get lots of super gregarious lab puppies that every time they see a new person, they're like jumping up and down, wanting to say hi, like, oh, can I say hi? Can I say hi? Right? And they want to run up to everybody and wrestle with them and be petted and everything like that. Classic. Uh, lab behavior. So if I have that, I'm not letting my puppy go say hi to everybody because then they're what, that's a lot more fun than working with me. And as I start to try to get them to work with me, they're like, no, no, I'd rather go say hi. And that distractibility factor makes my early training harder. So they'll get a little bit of social isolation from strangers so that I can make the focus on me that I want. But then assuming I have good focus on me, the dog's working with me and it wants to say hi to somebody, sure, I can say hi to somebody. And somebody wants to pet my dog, sure, that's all fine, right? Um, the places that it's, that it's potentially bad are the places where you have a dog that's unsure about strangers and can potentially get into a bad situation by letting somebody pet the dog because you can't really control what they're going to do. This lecture is part of one of... This lecture. So, so in a nutshell, right, the biggest takeaways from today I want everybody to understand are, right, one, yes, Right. You want to be hyper aware of these fear periods. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and forget fear. Call it whatever you want to call it. Right. From puppyhood through like a year and a half. Right. Mm-hmm. Your number one goal with your dog should be getting them environmentally sound. Right. Yeah. Meaning they could go new places. They could be around people. And we don't have crazy emotional responses in any direction. Right. They don't mm-hmm. get ridiculously through the roof excited. They don't get ridiculously through the roof scared. Right. They're, they're pretty neutral around new people. 
right? Yeah. The more you can focus on that, the better with them, right? Oh, yeah. Less focus on interaction, more focus on environmental socialization, right? Mm-hmm. If you're doing that proactively, you're going to avoid so many problems with your dog, right? Oh, yeah. Second biggest takeaway from today that I want everybody to be aware of is if you've, ha- if you've done this all wrong and you've created problems with your dog, right? If you are following a proper training approach, it should not take you that long to work through. All it's going to take is, okay, starting now, moving forward, if I got a year and a half dog that's becoming reactive and aggressive and this and that, all it's going to take is from now moving forward, we're going to cut all of the fat out, right? We're going to cut every bit of bad shit that we're doing right now, right? Because most owners, again, not to blame people, are usually doing things very wrong, right? Mm. And their solutions for yeah. things are usually doing things very wrong, <laughs> right? Yeah. <clears throat> and again, not not blaming or shaming, right? It's an yeah. education issue. That's why we're doing these podcasts. That's why there's all these videos out there on this kind of stuff, right? So we're going to cut all the fat. We're going to remove all the things you're doing wrong. That way we make sure things don't get any worse, right? From there, we're going to implement a training program that's going to do two things. One, the problematic behaviors you're seeing, we're going to be in a position to manage and or stop. And two, we're going to be in a position to give your dog controlled socialization that will start to reshape their experiences with these things that they may be scared of now so that you could be moving in the right direction. And if you follow that, I'm telling you, give yourself six months to a year, you're going to have a 1,000 percent different relationship with your dog for Mm -hmm. the better right but it all starts with doing things correct i've talked about this before you do things incorrect for seven years and get absolutely nowhere right and that's the biggest thing i see when i read these comments and stuff get discouraged right is a lot of people think they're doing the right thing Mm. right but in actuality they're making things worse and that's why they have this false misconception that it's going to take them three years to work past any of these types of issues yeah. which is not going to be the case you're never going to work past the issue doing half the things yeah. you're doing but with the right training program you should immediately be able to get some relief for both yourself as well as for your dog yep. so we're going to end that on that um, just wanted to kind of wrap on that something that's kind of been going through my head since I've been seeing that post mm-hmm. um, and what is it next week we got the big one with Tyler mm-hmm Big podcast next week. Uh, Going to be a very exciting one. Um, and obviously, if anybody needs anything in between now and then, let us know. Let us know. Josh, anything else? Nope. Right. I just, w- I hope we can someday talk to Michael Ellis. Cause I might shoot some emails out. Yeah, because I, I just, <laughs> I, just I, I just want to hear him talk. Yeah. You know? Yeah. but and, and how he just delivers information, yeah. it's just smooth. Smooth, yeah. Smooth. And then he, he gives you that little comedic bam. Yep. <laughs> I love it. All right, guys. We'll catch you on the next one. See ya. See ya.